3: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Monday, August 15th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, following another wrinkle in the state's panic fraud scandal, we take a comprehensive look at what's unfolded so far. The Mississippi physicians and the AARP are working together to promote exercise. Plus, breaking ground on a new interface facility. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Last week, Mississippi Today reporter Anna Wolf published her latest in a series of investigative reports called "The Back Channel." It follows the web of connections behind the state's TANF welfare fraud scandal. Friday's publication adds another wrinkle to the story. According to text messages obtained by Mississippi Today, then-Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves has a role in diverting funding to a project headed by his personal trainer. To better understand where this piece of the puzzle fits, we invited Anna Wolf to give us a comprehensive background of the fraud scandal And her reporting. We begin with the announcement that started it all.
1: Back in 2020, there were six arrests in February of 2020 uh, that sort of broke this scandal wide open. And the former uh, DHS director, John Davis, was arrested, as well as the head of a nonprofit that was receiving most of that money. Nancy New. Yes. Um, They were arrested for stealing um, just over $4 million total. Uh, a few months later, the auditor came out with a report that questioned another $90 million in spending from the department. And so what you saw over the John Davis administration, which was um, under the Phil Bryant administration the last four years that he was in office, is that the DHS sort of dismantled controls at the department and money was just flying out of the door, you know, in violation of federal regulations and not – Um, Not going to the people that needed it. Right. And that uh, that was really unveiled by the auditor's report that came out in 2020.
3: How did he get tipped off on this?
1: A employee of DHS was gathering information uh, for a few months prior to that in 2019 and took that information to the governor who turned that over to the auditor uh, the tip was a pretty small piece of suspected fraud by John Davis. It had nothing to do with the four million that was allegedly stolen it was It was actually forty eight thousand dollars that we 're talking about worth of suspected fraud by John Davis that was turned over to the Governor, uh, who then turned that over to the auditor. But as soon as the auditor started pulling that thread, it sort of began to unravel
3: and This is when Governor Phil Bryant was still in office.
1: That's right. So the investigation began when he was in office, and the arrests occurred just after he left office. I think one of the most important purchases uh, with welfare money that, that we can sort of pinpoint is a payment that Nancy New made to a company called Previcus, which was a pharmaceutical startup that was developing a drug to to prevent brain damage from concussions— This was a company that Brett Favre was sponsoring and investing in, and he was trying to get the governor's buy-in. He was trying to get state support for this company from the state's top elected officials. And uh, Phil Bryant was very receptive to this. He had meetings with the company's owner and Brett Favre, and directly after that, the company started receiving welfare funds. Um, There was communication between Brett Favre and the governor about this, and so the governor had been briefed on the fact that this company was receiving welfare money. And then two days after Phil Bryant left office, he agreed by text message to accept stock in the company for all the help that he provided the company while in office. This is a piece of the story that has not been well fleshed out by prosecutors or investigators, but uh, came to light because of Mississippi Today's stories.
3: Nancy knew and her son, Zach, knew. They operated an educational corporation, so to speak, and a school for mm-hmm. children with special needs. She's friends or was friends with Bryant's wife. That's right. She alleges that he pretty much directed her what to do with the welfare funds. That's right. So... Why hasn't Bryant been formally charged in this case?
1: I think that's a really good question. The federal investigation is ongoing, and so, you know, we haven't seen what they are going to do, if they're going to, you know, take some of this information to a grand jury. Um, But I think that based on stories that we've written here recently, um, the forensic audit that DHS had commissioned uh, to get to the bottom of who was responsible for the misspending was pretty limited, um, at the time, and I think that you also saw a sort of concerted effort by the people in charge of this investigation at the beginning to steer the direction away from the governor to to take it as high up as John Davis and Nancy knew and stop there. Shad White, uh, the state auditor who started the investigation in 2019, um you know, is a former campaign manager for Phil Bryant and was appointed to his position by Phil Bryant. And so I think the question is, did the attempt to seek out who was responsible for the misspending stop just short of the governor so that he wouldn't be exposed there?
3: So now we're up to about 38, 39 people that have been implicated, including a former NFL football player, Brett Favre, who you've mentioned. And I'm curious, maybe somebody else is curious about this. I looked up his uh, net worth. According to Cold Wire, an online sports news and information website, he's worth $100 million and earns another $7 million from annual endorsements. Wow. Were you able to ascertain why he wanted money from the state or why he was trying to engage the state in a business venture?
1: That is still a mystery to me. Why he felt the need to go after grant funds for something that, as these figures you just mentioned, suggests that he could have funded. Um, You know, he also uh, sought out funding from the state for a volleyball stadium and five million in welfare funds that flowed through Nancy News profit also went to build that stadium to essentially make Brett Favre happy. That was his um, vision to see a a new volleyball stadium built at USM. Um, You know, there were text messages that we uncovered and wrote about that uh, suggested that he had put up his own commitment to pay for that, and that he was trying to get money back from the welfare department in order to pay for that. Um, He even said at one point that he was in debt on the volleyball stadium. And so that doesn't really jive with the numbers that you mentioned. But um, so that's still kind of a mystery to us why, you know, he felt that, uh, that that was the proper place to get that money. And
3: you have reported that Bryant was somehow involved in the USM transaction,
1: Yes. Well, he was, He had meetings with Brett Favre and Nancy New about funding that project. Um, you know, I don't think that, I, you know, once this is all uncovered, and if it is, I don't think you're going to see that he had no idea about it, right? Um, this was his alma mater as well as Brett Favre's and Nancy New's. And he was over the welfare department. He, um, His office is... The, you know, primarily responsible for oversight over the Department of Human Services during this time.
3: Now, trying to move ahead here, recently you reported that the Department of Human Services executive director, Bob Anderson, who's a former prosecutor, he was appointed to that position by Governor Ted Reeves to clean up the agency, mm-hmm. get things under control. He's trying to recover funds, mm-hmm. but he fired an attorney that was working on the case. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. So um, Brad Pygat was hired last year to bring the civil suit. And the civil suit, um, it targets people who um, may not have done something that rose to the level of a crime but who were nonetheless responsible for the diversion of this money away from poor people and to the projects of, you know, politicians and uh, famous athletes. And so um, that's an attempt to, to claw back money that might not end up in a criminal case at any point. Um, and so Brad Pigott, um, as some listeners probably know, was a former U.S. prosecutor appointed by Bill Clinton. Um, he is a Democrat. And so he wasn't expected to pull any punches, you know, in this effort to claw back this money. Um, and he started going after the USM deal that we just um, talked about to get to the bottom of why that money, that $5 million, went to a volleyball stadium at USM. Even though the volleyball stadium and that purchase is not currently a subject of the civil suit, um, he was told by the Tate Reeves administration to take that out before he filed it. And so when he issued a subpoena that requested communication related to the former Governor Phil Bryant, he was fired. We also reported this week, this last week, that – in the beginning, when they were getting ready to to do that forensic audit, which again is the basis for the civil suit, they pretty um, there was a there was an attempt to really limit what it would look at and who it would look at, and there was a back and forth between the director of DHS and the auditor at the time, where the auditor's office accused DHS of essentially. Commissioning a report that would be a whitewash and would be a PR attempt for the Department of Human Services.
3: Anna Wolf is a reporter with Mississippi Today. In part two of our conversation.
1: I think that the news defense um, is strengthened by the fact that the governor of the state at the time, Phil Bryant, was directing them to make these purchases.
3: That's tomorrow. Coming up, Mississippi physicians and the AARP are working together to promote exercise. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: Classical, jazz, indie, blues, folk, bluegrass, whatever you call your
1: music. Find it on MPB Music Radio on mpbonline.org or the MPB Public Media app or on an HD radio
4: deep south dining is the show all about the culture of southern flavor from fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our mpb public media app
3: this is mississippi edition on mpb think radio i'm desirée frazier Mississippi tops the list in some of the worst health metrics. It's why Kimberly Campbell, Executive Director of the AARP of Mississippi, was walking and talking at a park in Jackson this weekend. The organization is teaming up with local physicians for Walk with a Doc, an international event to encourage health habits like daily exercise. It's where we walked and we heard from our Kobe Vance
0: start slow. Uh, Walking is is beneficial for everybody. You know, it's not like running and, you know, not like going to uh, the gym that can be intimidating. But walking, everyone can do, and you can do it at your own pace. So we recommend that you at least strive for 30 minutes a day. But honestly, if you're just starting, I tell people just in my own life, I tell people, start just doing 20 minutes, you know, every other day, you know, at your own pace until you can build up your strength. And then really try to hit that 30 Minutes at least three to four times a day of good walking, and that's to begin your your fitness goals.
1: What do you think it means for residents to be able to come out here and be able to walk with their doctors?
0: I think it's so important because they get that really hands-on connection, hands-on uh, information. You know, many times if we're trying to, you know, begin a fitness plan or, or if eating, you know, trying to eat better, you know, we're kind of lost. It's a lot of stuff out there, but it can be very overwhelming and confusing. And I think having doctors on hand to really say, okay, this is how you can be, begin. This is what you need to do and begin today. I always say, you won't get there if you never start. <laughs> so begin today. Begin with us, with ARP Mississippi, every Second Saturday, eight thirty in the morning at Palm Bridges
1: Park. I also wanted to get your thoughts on the, you know, the Congress this week passed yes. uh, the Inflation Reduction yes. Act. Yes. That's going to reduce Doug Um, Kind Absolutely. of get your thoughts.
0: Oh my gosh, I could scream, Kobe! I'm trying not to be too excited about that bill passing. Uh, you know, with our interview, but we are so excited. ARP, this ARP, really had a huge hand in that. Our CEO uh, Joanne Jenkins, and uh, from all everyone in our D.C. office, and really across the states, every state, even right here, ARP Mississippi. Our team. We were on the phone with our congressional delegation. You know, we were doing our social media. We were really making sure our members and our volunteers understood what was at stake, and they really showed up. They really made sure that their voices were heard because this is something that we've wanted to see for a long time. Rising prescription drug costs has been a huge issue, especially here with with Mississippi residents. And we wanted to make sure that also Medicare was was able to negotiate those drug prices. So to say that we're excited, is an understatement. We are very thrilled uh, that Congress has really passed an amazing piece of legislation that would better the lives for those uh, right here in Mississippi.
3: And yes, we can hear that excitement. One of the docs at the walk was newly appointed state medical officer, Justin Turner. He hopes this kickoff will move from the bottom to the
2: top. The average patient tells me, doc, I don't want you to add any more medications. And I say, okay, So tell me about the things that you're doing so I don't have to be forced to add any more medication. I don't want my doctor adding medication on me. So doing the natural things such as exercising, such as adjusting your diet can help prevent that because obesity or lack of exercise increase the risk of having diabetes, of having heart disease, of having cancer, and just about almost every other health category. So in Mississippi, these health disparities are a big deal. Anytime we have black women dying three times more compared to others. Anytime we have one out of three Mississippians that are overweight or obese. Now we got children, and now the number of numbers have gone from one out of 20 to one out of five. We have children as young as 11 being diagnosed with diabetes. So the message is, it does not have to be this way. So we gotta get rid of the complacency, get rid of the apathy, and know that where there's a will. There is a way. Let's get started today. Let's move Mississippi from the bottom to the top. Let's go.
3: Turner also reflected on what it means to be named the state medical officer.
2: I never would have thought in my wildest dream that this was even possible, to be leading under the, under the, under the leadership of Dr. Dan Edden, who's the state health officer, our state. When I was in medical school in 2008, I was trying to decide where I was going to go uh, to practice medicine. And my choices were Texas, Tennessee, or Mississippi. And I realized after looking at the data, I didn't have an option to come back to Mississippi. I had an obligation. The teachers, the plumbers, the carpenters, the superintendents, all the people that paid away for me, who was I not to come back and give back? So forward to where we are now, and being in this position to be able to make even a bigger difference, To focus on the mission over the money, to focus on the relationship over the revenue, to focus on the purpose over profit, and I'm blessed that God chose me.
3: Turner is the first black Mississippian to serve in the role. Coming up, breaking ground on a new interfaith facility. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: It's time for the Mississippi Book Festival on Saturday, August 20th. Visit the state capitol in Jackson from 9 to 5 p.m. and visit inside the rotunda on the first floor. The MPB Kids Club will be ready with Ed Set, PBS's Molly from Denali, plus activities and giveaways. Join Mississippi Public Broadcasting for adventure in both body and brain at the Mississippi Book Festival on Saturday, August 20th. More info at mpbonline.org.
0: This is Mississippi
3: Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Mississippi Department of Corrections is breaking ground on a church building at Central Mississippi Correctional Facility. The interfaith church in Rankin County, built through private donations, will be 6,400 square feet and seat up to 300 inmates at a time. MDOC Commissioner Burl Kane talks about how this project fits in with the department's plan to reduce recidivism.
4: The church plays a major role in the moral rehabilitation because inmates are, we if we get them to become moral people, they normally then, you know, don't recidivate because immoral people are the ones that steal your lawnmower and don't know right from wrong. And so therefore, that's the whole deal is to change the culture of the prison. If we teach skills and trade without morality... We just make smarter criminals.
3: So in talking about the church, what faiths can worship there? Any.
4: It's non-denominational church. Plus, we don't care if you're in religion. You can be an atheist. Come on over there, and they can have programs and what have you. But it's the same thing you have in Jackson, Mississippi. Everybody does everything they want to do. If they want to go, they go. If they don't want to go, they don't. And they go to whatever denomination they want to be, if they want to be a faith-based person. So we follow that same model in prison. You can't do anything other than it's just whatever, whoever, whenever, wherever. It's just what it is.
3: Have you had any inmates from the seminary graduate so they can start conducting or leading services?
4: We do some parchment. That's the men's seminary. There's, There's a lot of graduates from that one. It's been operating since 2004. The women's seminary has been operating for only two years, so we have some associate people, but they already have set up church structure or religious structure. We may be better say at that. So whatever denominations and any denomination can go to the seminary as well. So whatever they do, we encourage them to form, you know, groups to study and to and to be positive and to be moral. So it's why we say moral rehabilitation. We don't say faith-based anymore. I don't say it anyway.
3: How much is this costing taxpayers? It's costing zero
4: because we raise the money, I get the money through donations, and so uh, it's it's not a budgeted item.
3: Did you do that on purpose?
4: Well, really, I do that because I'm keeping a separation of church and state and keeping it that way and that's what we did in Angola and we have nine churches in Angola and it worked there I'm doing here what I did there that changed the proven culture and brought it from a violent place to a peaceful place
3: will this be just for women just for men or interchangeable no it
4: is for whoever you know we'll have open services and many times we hope we have the public you know their families can come and work it with for certain services we'll do that and we'll have different kind of programs there you know it's not necessarily it'll have a big screen and, and deal and so for instance and in, we may we watch the super bowl in the church one year in louisiana when the saints played so it's just whatever it's, a, it's really an all-purpose building we just say church but and it's what it is
3: what reaction are you getting have you been able to talk with any inmates about this today
4: they're ecstatic we had them at the groundbreaking and they they're the ones that participated and we have that inmate church already for women and I and it was the inmate preacher was there and so I asked her how many members you have in your congregation and she told me about 70. So she had several of them there and they used a shovel and and uh had the groundbreaking for them as well. It is for them so they participate. Will
3: you be doing this at other state facilities?
4: I will. We already have we already have one church here and uh, this is just a different location. There's a church in most all our prisons, and uh, but we're going to be adding to it because at different units, we needed to make it more convenient. And the more church groups we, we develop, the less gang activity we'll have because they'll be in these groups and they won't be in the gang group. This group is positive and good. They don't extort other inmates. The gang group is bad. It extorts other inmates, charges dues and they have a leader, and we do not We do know who he is, so what is the difference then for us to have a preacher or a leader? That's good.
3: You mentioned air conditioning. That's something that you're dealing with right now because the prisons, by and large, are not air conditioning. You have one where you're working on that now, I believe?
4: I am. There's two reasons. One is the employees that work in, in that environment, it's hard to to keep them, and, you know, it's a deterrent to work in a hot building. The other thing is the Justice Department really brought that out when they came out with a report on parchment about the heat and how hot it was. So we don't want to be fighting with them. We're trying to dodge a consent decree anyway, and so we want to be in compliance with the the Eighth Amendment. So it's good to do the air conditioning. It makes it a better, cooler place and less violence less irritation, less agitation. And most prisons today are air-conditioned. So we did air conditioned Everything at Parkham was air-conditioned but at 29 right now. We'll have this one going by the spring, but we won't have it. It's not happening now.
3: So it's going to take a while to do the... How many prisons are you going to put HVAC in?
4: Well, the ones that don't have air conditioning, I'm not just sure which ones don't. I think most of the regionals may be air-conditioned, but it's going to take me... A couple of years to do the ones we have, the five prisons we're operating. That's the ones we're targeting first.
3: Commissioner Burl Kane, Mississippi Department of Corrections, thank you for speaking with us about this.
4: Thank you. Appreciate it.
3: This has been Mississippi Edition on NPB Think Radio.